Good morning, everybody. Good morning, those of you watching remotely, um, and good morning to everyone here in the buildings. Lovely to see you all. Uh, many of you will know that we're doing a little uh, series at the moment, looking at different issues facing us as disciples of Jesus in the time and the circumstances in which we're living. Uh, we've looked at the environment, we looked last week at some ethical is- issues around the beginnings and endings of life, and today I want to look at um, the topic of consumerism. Before we do that, let's look at the Bible. If you've got one with you or on your phone, uh, turn up, please, a well-known passage. It's not going to be on the screen, um, but it'd be great if you could follow it or or maybe you just want to listen to it. It's Philippians chapter 2, the first half of Philippians chapter 2. And Paul's been talking about what it means to live in a manner that's worthy of the gospel of Christ. And he he continues in Philippians 2 verse 1, Therefore... If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Do I hear an amen? I hear some amens. You're allowed to talk. You're not allowed to sing it, but you can shout it out. Let every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So, consumerism. We all need to eat and drink and consume things, don't we? That's how God made us. But when our lives become dominated or defined, when they're given their meaning by consuming, that is consumerism. That is when it has taken over our lives. And that, to be honest, is the world we live in, a world where our attitudes uh, and our dreams are dominated by what we can get. I consume, therefore I am, with the focus on the I and the me throughout. What can I get out of it? How can my needs and desires be met? And I think COVID has exacerbated this. We've become more and more inward looking. We've become more and more focused on on what we think um, we need. But we're called as disciples of Jesus to be distinctive and to swim against the flow of consumerism. God calls us to freedom. 
Let us therefore not take on a yoke of slavery. Let us not worship the God of the age. Let us not be eternally shopping around for new experiences and never satisfied. Let us rather enjoy all we have in Christ. Let us take our eyes off ourselves and what works for me. Because if we keep on feeding our need for consu- to consume and our relentless desire uh, and obsession with what works for us, then actually we ourselves become consumed. We lose control of our lives. Our minds turn inwards, our gaze goes downwards, and the elusive fulfillment we crave slips away through our fingers. As Paul says later in this letter to to the Philippians about people who have focused on the wrong things, their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But, says Paul, our citizenship is in heaven. Look up. Take your gaze off yourself. So as we begin to think about this tricky topic of consumerism, which uh, I think if we've got any self-awareness, is, we will know is deeply ingrained within us, and therefore it's hard for us to, to think and look at it objectively, let us pray and let's ask God to help us to see things as they really are. Dear God, we pray this morning that as we seek to challenge ourselves about the, the unhealthy ways that we might have started to think, We might have ceased to be salt and light in our society because we've become too much infected by this problem of consumerism. We pray that you'll help us to see things as you see them. Help us to see ourselves as you see us. Help us to see you as you truly are. Help us to see those around about us and this beautiful world in which we live through the lens of the Lord Jesus Christ. Forgive us for our consumer orientation our focus on ourselves and what we can get out of things and help us by your Holy Spirit to focus on you and your glory and to experience the contentment and the joy and the fulfillment that we only find when we lose ourselves in you. For we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Now some of you may remember a few months ago we had a visit from from Pastor Dwight from the US of A. And and Pastor Dwight contacted me this week and said he felt he had quite a lot to say about consumerism, Uh, but you may or may not be pleased to know that uh, he's not going to be with us this morning. But I want to talk, so it's going to be me talking, and I want to talk first of all about God. Uh, One of my little things is I don't think we talk about God enough as Christians. We, We so easily, and this is partly the consumer thing, we so easily start talking about ourselves. And as God's children, we should be people who are absolutely obsessed and desiring to talk about God. If you're in love with someone, you talk about them. And we are to be those who are in love with God and who speak of him. And the antidote to consumerism is to look up, to lift our eyes to God. So enough of me, me, me. Let's focus on God and his glory and his beauty and majesty. Is God a consumer? 
Well, there's an interesting question to ponder. You can discuss it in your small groups or in your breakouts later. Is God a consumer? Well, he's described, isn't he, as a consuming fire, Hebrews chapter 12, quoting Deuteronomy. But that's really just a metaphor for saying that uh, God, is, God is burning hot. Uh, God is holy. Be, be careful how you treat God. God doesn't actually consume um, or possess his children and there's a distinction here, I think, between the God that we worship, the God who reveals himself to us in the Bible and in Jesus, and all kinds of, of other pagan and counterfeit gods that we can come across, because our God is not a God who wants to possess us. Uh, and I say that carefully, because I, although I believe the Holy Spirit indwells us, but the Holy Spirit and God indwells us and comes into our lives, not, not to possess us and take us over in a sense, but to, but to free us to be who he created us to be in the first place, to set us free. Um, some of you know I'm, I'm really into C.S. Lewis at the moment, and you may, may, many of you may have read the, the Screwtape letters, um, letters from a senior to a junior devil, um, imaginary letters, um, advising the junior devil on how to go about attempting a Christian. And it's, and it's amusing, but also slightly chilling, these, these letters. I, I commend them to you. But one of the themes of the letters, and one of the themes of Lewis's writing, and I think a biblical theme too, is that God does not possess us. God does not want to take us over. We don't, he, the, the vision God has for us is that not, we, not that we will somehow become subsumed into God and we lose all our own identity and um, what makes us us. God wants to set us free to be the beings that he created us to be. So our heavenly hope is not to be, become part of God and just to be lost in a great sort of heavenly mush where everything is just combined in a, in a sort of cosmic soup. That is not the Christian vision. We're set free to be individuals, not consumed or taken over by God. Unlike the devil who wants to consume, who wants to possess us, who wants to, who wants to well, literally to have us for breakfast. And um, interestingly, the final, the final words of the Screwtape letters, Screwtape's final, he gets increasingly um, sort of unpleasant towards the junior devil to whom he's writing. And in the end, he signs himself off. He'd been calling himself your affectionate uncle, Screwtape. And in the final letter, he signs himself your increasingly and ravenously affectionate uncle, Screwtape, because his vision of hell was a place where they're all going to be trying to eat each other. They're all going to be trying to consume each other. And it's a, it's a hellish vision. But the heavenly vision, the vision of God that we, we experience in the Bible is not that. Because God is a God of love. And what does love mean? Well, love means looking at the other and, and prioritizing the other person, not thinking of ourselves. God prioritizes, prioritizes our freedom and our fulfillment. He's not focused on his own needs. The, even the, in the Old Testament, you know, the offerings and sacrifices that he prescribed, what was all that about? Well, they weren't things he needed, as he, as he often told his people. I don't need all this stuff, I tell you, to bring me in the temple. This is, I ask you to do this for your sake. Those offerings and sacrifices are not things he needed to consume. They were means of cementing and restoring relationships between God and his people. And when he sent his own son in the world to be a sacrifice for us, he came not to, not to take from us, but to, but to give to us, to give himself for us. 
not to demand from us. So God's not a consumer. God is a lover. God is a giver-outer. God is someone who is always generous and giving out, never looking for his own fulfillment. He doesn't shop around for the best deal in town. He doesn't constantly move from, from people to people or person to person. He's a God of commitment, of covenant commitment. We see that modeled in the Old Testament with his people who he decided to love. He, he, he could very easily have gone on to a better people, a more powerful or impressive or devoted people, but he's stuck with the people of Israel. A God of covenant love and faithfulness. We see this in the, in the Trinity. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit revealed to us in the New Testament. God is our Father. Fathers aren't consumers. Parents are not ones, or good parents. I mean, all parents are, are flawed, obviously. But the, the model of parenthood that we find in God himself is, is to be committed, is to be relational, is to be there for us, not to be trying to get stuff out of us. I mean, what a terrible image of parenthood, isn't it? When you see parents who, for whom their children are a means for something, you know, whether it's, whether it's pride in their achievements or, or whatever it is. That's a terrible model of parenthood. God's our Father. Jesus is the faithful one. I did not come to, to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many, Jesus says. I didn't come to get something. I didn't come to consume. I didn't come to find what was in it for me. I came for you to ransom and save you. And the Holy Spirit, what does the Holy Spirit come for? The Holy Spirit comes upon the church for the sake of the church to bring gifts and to glorify Jesus. And the point of all this is we are called to be like him. We're called to be like God, to be holy as he is holy. That reading from Philippians, did you notice? Paul, that wonderful hymn about the Lord Jesus Christ who gave up everything. He went down and down and down, down into this world, down into death, even the worst and most shameful kind of death of all, the death on the cross, and then was exalted by God and given the, his place uh, on the throne in glory. What was the, how, what's the context in which Paul quotes that glorious hymn of praise? He says, your attitude, in your relationships to one another, in your dealings, in your life, in your attitude to stuff, your attitude is to be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Therefore, he begins the chapter, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if all those songs we've been singing mean anything to you, if the cross means anything to you, then that affects the way you live. It's the way you live to one another, he says. Be like-minded, having the same love. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Look at others, look out for others and consider their interests above your own. Paul wasn't writing into a consumer society, but the principles that he writes in that letter to the Philippians are deeply relevant to us in our consumer-orientated society. The antidote to consumerism is to look up and is to worship the God who reveals himself to us. The God of love. The faithful God. The God who is not out for what he can get, but is in it for the sake of others. So we turn our eyes to God. And as we uh, just continue to reflect on this, this consumption word, um, 
God's not a consumer, as I, I hope I've sort of um, convinced you. God's not there to consume us. But, but ironically, the best thing that can happen to us is to be, is to be consumed by God. Perhaps I'm using consumed in a slightly different sense. For us to, to, for us to give ourselves wholly o- over to God, to be utterly committed and devoted to him. That's what, that's what discipleship looks like. And that's, that, that's ultimately what we were made for. Uh, the great church father Augustine uh, from North Africa uh, famously began his book, The Confessions, uh, when he talked about his own experience of, um, well, he, he went off. I mean, he was brought up in a Christian environment, but he'd, he, he turned his back on God and he, he abandoned himself to all kinds of lusts and cravings. But he came back to God, and this was what he wrote at the beginning of his book of Confessions, famous words. God made us for himself. God made us for himself. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. You see, what is consumerism? It's, it's a trying to find something that we desperately need within us, and, but we're looking in the wrong place. Augustine's right. We find the, 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 what our hearts are truly longing for. We find it, that in God, because that's, that's how we were made. We're made in the image and likeness of God, and, and our hearts are made for him. That's, that's what we're designed for. We're designed for God. And our hearts are restless until they find their rest in him. Um, C.S. Lewis was a great student of Augustine, actually. And uh, he, he, used a, he used a German word. I don't think our German speakers are here this morning. But had this German word, Sehnsucht, which, may, which means longing. And this was one of the, the ways that Lewis himself came to faith, but also wanted to encourage others to explore faith, to, to realize that deep within us, there's this desperate sense of longing for something. We know that we're living, we know that we're made for another world. We, we know that we, we have this deep sense of dissatisfaction with the world we live in and our own place in it, don't we? And, and Lewis said, well, that, that's a sign that we weren't actually made for this world. We were made for God. Our hearts are restless. We experience this, this sense of unfulfilled longing, this God-shaped hole, as others have said. Or, or to use biblical language, for Psalm 42, as a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. You see, consumerism, consumerism when, it's, when, it's, when it's focused upwards on God is a great thing because that's what we're made for. Not, not for what we can get out of God, but actually... When we come to acknowledge and accept that God is, the, is the, the fulfillment of all our deepest desires, then we will find that we don't need all this other stuff. Whereas consumerism itself never delivers. It's ironic, isn't it? Because we have a culture where, where we have more stuff available to us than any, at any point in history before. We have, we have so much stuff. We have so much opportunities for entertainment. I mean, how many channels can you get on your TV? Have you counted recently? It, you know, how many football matches can you watch at the same time if you want to on different channels? I mean, it's just, it's just mind-boggling, the amount of um, fulfillment in theory that's out there. And yet, are we the happiest age in history? Are people just bubbling over with contentment and joy? Is mental illness a thing of the past? Or, or not? 
Well, I would suggest not. I would say the more stuff we seem to have, the more miserable we seem to feel because we're looking in the wrong place for our fulfillment. And, and even worse, sometimes when we, when we look to God, we're looking to him with a sort of fake consumer-driven spirituality where we're treating God like a slot machine. The prosperity gospel. What can I get out of God? Uh, God, ju- God just mu- must be there to bless me, to make my day comfortable, to fulfill my, my hopes for today. So if I just name it and claim it then, then I, and, and, and ask God for it, well, that's what God's there for. He's there to fill my, my consumer needs. What, what a terrible perversion of what true worship is. We are made for God to worship and enjoy him forever. He's not a means for us to get other stuff. He is the thing that we are to desire above all. So our question to ourselves, I hope, the practical question for us is, is how are we feeding that truest need and longing? Because we're being bombarded with stuff every day. All the advertising we get is, is telling us we need something else. And if we could just get that thing, how happy we'd be. Well, what are we doing to feed ourselves with a... With a with the truth. How are we reminding ourselves of what God's really like? Are our prayer lives dominated by asking God for stuff or are they dominated by praising him for his glory and how beautiful and wonderful and glorious he is? And how can we show others that only in God can be found the answer to our deepest longings? Do people know when they see your social media profile that you're swimming in a different direction? that you're not interested in all this stuff, that your focus is on God and his praise and glory. Do people know when you talk to them? Those are the questions I'd invite you to ponder. How are you feeding a true, a true appetite, an appetite for God himself? And how are you sharing that with others? How are you demonstrating that? And can I, and can I just in these last few minutes say something about church? How we, how we meet together. Uh, so a feature of consumerism, it's very, very individualistic. It's all about me, me, me. It's never about we, we and us. It's about me, me and I. And, and some of you know I get quite irritated that a lot, of the, a lot of the modern songs we sing are obsessively written about me and I and not much about us. And we come together as church to sing about us and our journey together. But So consumerism can affect the church. Um, Paul writes in his second letter to Timothy, the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires and will turn away from listening to the truth. Well, it was a form of consumerism back there in the first century. People wanting stuff that would please their own little ears, that would make them feel good about themselves. But church is to be a community where our commitment to God and to one another is worked out. We don't come here for what we can get out of it. I hope, I really pray. I mean, to an extent, yes, we do expect to to get something out of it because we're coming to meet God. But we don't come here motivated with the desire to get something out of it. We abuse one another and we abuse God when we treat church like a shopping trip or a trip to the cinema. It's not that. It's a community of people where we're here to bless others. 
where we're here to share lives together. People who skip from church to church because, we, because they can't find one that suits their needs are not saying much about the churches they're leaving. They're saying an awful lot about themselves. People who moan that church is not meeting their needs are saying something about the extent to which they have experienced the gospel. People who pick and choose what things in church life to support based on whether they fulfill their own needs. And sometimes there are their own needs for fulfillment and affirmation. People who do church with that basis, on that basis, are saying something about whether Christ is Lord in our lives. Because this is not a shop. This is not a service provider. This is not therapy. This is not a place where we come for our introspection to be pampered. This is the body of Christ. This is the family and household of faith. So let's not come here to consume, but to be overwhelmed with the glory and majesty of God and to bless those that we meet here. (laughs) Hebrews 10. I didn't know Steph was going to quote this earlier, but here it is again. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, For he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Uh, the writer to the Hebrews encourages us not to neglect meeting together. And I'm, you know, he was, they didn't have Zoom in his day, but being on Zoom is a way of meeting together. Not a perfect way, but it's a way of doing it. Let's not neglect to be together on Zoom or here in person. And why don't we neglect that? You know, some people say to me, well, I don't really like Zoom. Well, well none of us like Zoom. I mean, it's a miserable ap- apology for, for real meeting, isn't it? I I don't really like it. It, it, That's not the point, the writer of the Hebrews is saying. Let Let us consider how to provoke one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. Why do we meet together? Why do we put that annoying video camera on in front of us? Because it encourages others and it glorifies God, even if I'm personally not getting something out of it. Of course, I'm, I'm preaching to the converted here this morning. You're all listening or you're, you're watching on Zoom, and that's wonderful. But let's keep encouraging one another to do that. Even to those meetings, those prayer meetings where we're thinking, I can't bear another meeting. You know, I can't bear another Zoom meeting. Why are we doing it? Are we doing it for what I can get out of it? Am I doing it because it might help me to consume something that will make me feel good today? Or am I doing it for the glory and majesty and praise of God? So there we are, consumerism, not a good thing. What's the alternative vision that God holds out, held out for us? It's the, it's the heavenly vision of commitment and community. Commitment to God and to his service. Fixing our eyes on Jesus and finding contentment there. And I think that's, I hope, I hope you haven't felt this morning that I've just been sort of, you know, telling you off. That's not my intention at all. I want to, I want to inspire us with an alternative vision, a countercultural vision which I think our society so much needs to hear because it's lost in the misery of consumerism. So what's the opposite of consumerism? Well, the opposite of consumerism is contentment. 
And we, find, we read this, and this is my, my, close, my parting um, uh, quote from the Bible, from the, uh, near the end of Paul's letter to the Philippians. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord. Now, hold on, let me, uh, verse 11, Hebrews, um, Philippians 4, verse 11. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. What a wonderful witness. What a wonderful thing to be able to say. I am content. I don't need more stuff. I don't need more experiences. I don't need more affirmation. I am content. And that is the vision that God gives us. That's what heaven's going to be like, folks. It's going to be a place of contentment. It's going to be a place where we are happy, (laughs) where we've learned that all we need is God, and there we are with God. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that something to look forward to? So let's go out into this world that is bowing down to the idol of consumerism and in finding that it's an idol that cannot bear the weight that is placed on it. And let us be people who show forth an alternative vision and glorify God as we do that. Let's pray. Dear God, we acknowledge that we live in a consumer age and it's very hard for us as your disciples to detach ourselves from that. We acknowledge that we often fail We become many consumers, even sometimes in church. Help us, we pray, to live out an alternative vision, the vision that you give us in your word, the vision that he was outward-looking and upward-looking and forward-looking. Take away our obsession with ourselves and our own desires and cravings and fill us with a desire and passion for you, our wonderful, beautiful, glorious, loving God. Amen. We're going to sing our last song now.